Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Cahan is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. K-Hen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome again, friends, to um, On the Rails with me, Forrest Whitman, here at KHTN 106.9 on your FM dial or anytime as a podcast or uh, on iTunes or um, some other things, in the, including the, for 48 hours, the immediate recast, as it's called. Anyway, I'm interviewing Bruce Goforth today, and part of the thing is that his family, in one sense, um, lived out the destiny, I don't know if that's too strong a word, for his grandfather, who worked for 50 years for the uh, Clinchfield Railroad. And um, it, the, that railroad, what an interesting railroad. It, it um, ran through country where people thought it would be very difficult to ever build a railroad up through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. And yet, uh, that's what, where this railroad ran. So anyway, Bruce, nice to have you here. Let's keep talking. And I was hoping you'd say a little more about that railroad and how, how it was built. And we, it was fun talking about your grandfather, but it'd be kind of fun to get into there. So go ahead, Bruce, go forth. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Forrest. Uh, yes, um, I, I was fascinated to read in a book written by a uh, a relative of mine, actually, um, uh, who wrote a history of the Clinchfield Railroad. He's a go-forth, and uh, turns out he was uh, we're related through a, a third great-grandfather, clear back. Um, and uh, in reading that book here recently, uh, how the Clinchfield Railroad was built, I saw some very fascinating history of of newspaper articles written about the different nationalities of people working on that railroad, the crews, and uh, how how they couldn't always speak the same language, but and then they might get into fights. There were people who were at times murdered. There were all sorts of uh, interesting stories, but also um, about uh, just how dangerous all that was, but also uh, in going through uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains and the tunnels created, 
the dynamite being used and so on and so forth, there were numerous accidents and people killed that way. So uh, there's very interesting history about the actual construction of the railroad. And J.A. Uh, Goforth, who wrote this uh, building of the, the railroad, actually served as a chief engineer who uh, helped design, be involved with the construction of monitoring of the railroad and, and so on and so forth. So he, he included some of the history of all the building of that railroad and how it was built to such um, modern and, and great standards that um, much of that still exists today. Uh, so, so they didn't have to go back and rip it up and put in new rail lines and all. They, it was constructed at a very high quality. So those were some of the stories that I read in this book and which I thought were quite fascinating. Fascinating to me, too. I, I read most of it, not all of the book. Now, would your grandfather have participated in these real fights, you might say, between different national groups and access to some of the overtime because they wanted to make as much money as they could? Now, I, uh, you know, some of these fights got, got pretty serious. Yeah, well, he would not have been involved in the sorts of things I was reading about these. Um, I'm trying to think how far back this went, but these were some of the original uh, construction on the railroad, uh, which he was not involved with. And so I think we heard about this sort of thing on the building of railroads in general, uh, and certainly out west here too, where you, you know, you had Italians, you had the Chinese, you had et cetera, et cetera. I didn't know that you had the Asians that much on the Clinchfield, which ran through the Appalachian Mountains, but you did have Italians and uh, East European, Russians, uh, Czechoslovakians. There were Native Americans all working on this railroad together, and you might have had uh, some um, blacks, or as they would have called them back then, coloreds or whatever, but fights would break out, and it could be over booze, it could be over food, it could be over how well they were all working together, or who went into town and didn't get back, or was drunk, or whoever else, and so it was just fascinating reading some of these stories. <laughs> really fascinating, and of course, we had a great visionary here in Colorado who, who we were talking about on the show last week. Our first territorial governor appointed by Lincoln, of course, William Gilpin. It's, it's just interesting that Gilpin had a, a lot of optimism about all this. He kept saying, no, this here in the Rocky Mountain West, of course, that's a little different. But nevertheless, we're going to learn to live with each other. We're going to learn to get along. Democracy is going to work. Here because it's all new here. We're going to leave a lot of the old fights behind us, old kings behind us, old wars behind us, and we're just going to, it's not going to be easy, but we're going to learn to get along. And if you look at the history of America, to some degree, I think Gilpin was right. Now, these days, we're not quite as optimistic about that as I would have been 20 years ago in terms of getting along together. But uh, it is interesting. And uh, and as, as, as you were saying, it, it's just interesting that black folks managed to to make that to make that transition. 
And in fact, we've got a guy coming on the show. Oh, at some point here, uh, you know, he, he, he would call himself black. He worked for the railroads for many, many years as a conductor. And, you know, he, it's his view that despite some of the current difficulties and setbacks that we've got, ultimately the picture is up. So let's hope, let's hope. Certainly that James A. Goforth would, would have agreed with that. But now he's a, he is your direct ancestor, right? James A. Goforth. Yes, it turns out that, and, and since I met with you the other day at uh, or a week ago at Cafe Don, and we uh-huh. first talked about this, and I, I gave you that book, uh, I, I was not aware exactly uh, my relation to him, but we did some ancestry, uh, looking through Ancestry.com, and discovered we had a common great-great-great-grandfather, in other words, in the family. And so he was third-great-grandfather connection, and so he is actually, uh, we are related. James A. Goforth is no longer with us either. All these people we're talking yeah. about passed yeah. on. He, he has written a book about Irwin, Tennessee, which was the headquarters for this railroad we've been talking about for the greatest number of years. So a lot of these trains ran out of Irwin, either down to Spartanburg in South Carolina, or they ran up to Elkhorn, Kentucky, and, and then through Virginia, out of Irwin, back and forth, you know, and up, up in the Kentucky, Virginia area, they were bringing a lot of coal out. And then down to Spartanburg and into the Carolinas, uh, textile mills. So the railroad was serving these different uses and, and, and freight, you know, to get uh, products of different sorts back and forth. But they operated out of the corporate headquarters was out of Irwin, Tennessee, which is where my grandfather worked and lived and raised his family and where my dad was born. And so a lot of our history, family history goes back to Irwin, and that's where I would visit when I was a boy, visiting my, my grandparents uh, on, on my dad's side. Really interesting, yeah. It's so interesting how railroads have united families and local histories, and all of that seems to come out. I don't know if people sit around the Christmas tree and swap those. Probably not. Probably not, because they probably don't swap those stories. Probably the Kids are saying, what is that old story about? Do you and Melissa, your wife, do you ever get together with your kids and talk about any of this? <laughs> well, well, actually we do. And, and in fact, uh, if there's a way for us to have them be able to access your podcast, being that they both live in Denver or whatever, they will have heard some of these stories and they'll be very interested if they're able to see what's going on between us all here. Yeah. Uh, because they they have heard some of these stories and some of them in, in greater detail and some which maybe we can't share over the radio right now. But yeah, yeah we do talk about these things with our kids and it's uh, very much uh, a part of our history. Well, and your history goes back to a battle in the Revolutionary War. Now that, that goes back quite a ways. Very, very few of us here in the Rocky Mountain West have any claims to a history that goes back that far. And this guy, James A. Goforth, felt that that was, they were very much a a part of that revolutionary movement, revolutionary war kind of thing. Yes, the Goforth family, some degree of prominence in North and South Carolina, 
in the Revolutionary War, we're talking about battle at Kings Mountain was in North Carolina. And on the Goforth property, there were brothers on that land. On my side, I'm a direct descendant of those who fought on the Patriot side, but we had in the same family those who were loyalists, you know, the, the Tories or whatever. And so they uh, actually, the Battle of Kings Mountain in that battle, uh, Goforth brothers fought on against one another and killed each other. It's a, a famous uh, story that they tell in the National Park Service there. Now, if you visit Kings Mountain National Park, uh, they'll tell that about the Goforth family. <laughs> So that, that does go back a ways, but it, of course, they, the Goforth people migrated first, you know, out of Pennsylvania, where that family landed, and then to the Carolinas. But that's, the, that's where we have our greatest, we're, we're known to be in the Carolinas. Isn't that interesting? Because I do think most of us don't have a, a, a family history that goes back that far, particularly people in Colorado, because, you know, we're brand new here. Now, of course, if you're uh, if you're an Indian, it goes back a long way. Say you're a Ute or a Paiute or something. Why you've been here all along? You've you've seen this all happen. And I mean, and that's one thing I we've done with the show here. I think is try to get people on who have a lot of railroad background and for whom uh, trains have been been important in their family lives. And I know it was important to our engineer up there. We kid Rick White sometimes about the Atchison Topeka Santa Fe Railroad, but uh, that was key really to his growing up. I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying here. There, Rick, he's, he's listening. No, I think you're doing okay for us. I, I'm glad that you remembered the name of the railroad this time. Oh, <laughs> I did not forget the name. And by the way, Forest Denver and Rio Grande Railroad, which competed. And it was so prominent through our part of the country here in Colorado. I showed you a lithograph cigar box cover on the inside of the cigar boxes from 1910. General William Palmer, Palmer. who founded Colorado Springs. And he was famous enough that, and it was the custom back then to put an attractive cover in a cigar box, but he was famous enough they did one of him back in 1910. And to either side of his rather nice portrait, one side was the Antlers Hotel, which he established there. Of course, he also established the town of uh, city of Colorado Springs now. But also they have on the other side of him, they show the old narrow gauge railroad that, of course, he started the uh, Denver and Rio Grande Railroad system. So I have that. I showed that to you at Cafe Dawn, but that's another part of the family railroad stories that we can tell because I have that framed and hanging on my wall. So I have to bore my children with, uh, uh, do you remember the story I told you about uh, William Palmer since uh, you know, uh, we lived in Colorado Springs for a while and uh, which is where I, I got that. And one of my children was born there. So, yeah, they they have to hear these railroad stories. From sure they do. And I'll just uh, throw this in here. I will say, kids, have I told you this story? <laughs> no, uh-huh. well, yeah, Dad, but tell it again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you got great kids. You have two kids, and I think they're both 
wonderful to put up with all that. No, no, no. Well, that's it is. It's true. Families. Uh, these these are the stories, and and I think particularly railroad stories that tend to unite families around that, just because they last for more years. Stories about what you did last week are fine, but they they don't have that that depth. But well, one of the was, stories, Forrest, that I tell my kids was right here in Salida, actually watching the last train that rolled through Salida after Anschutz had bought it and then closed it down. But, you know, we used to listen to uh, the railroad go through and of course it would sound off going through all the crossings and you could hear that here and it was a very prominent part of our community. And then uh, the last railroad back in around 97, I think it was, ran here through Salida. And so that's another story I, I tell our kids when they're up here visiting, how we don't have that anymore. Well, and if you listen to this show, and I know you do, we've certainly had people on here who have a lot of ideas and schemes to keep this railroad operating and serving and uh, uh We've had other people on the show who that's the last thing that they want this railroad to do. And it, it goes on and on like that. And of course, railroading right now has hit a very, very dark period where the people at the top just, they really just want to keep the stock price up and keep the operating ratio down. That's all they want to do. They don't want to particularly run railroads anymore. So that that's, a, if you ever read Trains Magazine, They've got some blistering articles about this, about what's wrong with it and, and <clears throat> how until they get some an extra board going so that they've got some backup, it's going to continue to, to get worse or it's going to continue to get better if you are a, um, in, into the stock market and into uh, investing money in railroads. So it's, <laughs> I just think it's an interesting, interesting time we've got going. And not to get too much off onto that, but the Surface Transportation Board just two weeks ago had some hearings where they brought in the CEOs of two or three of the top operating uh, companies, tried to get some answers from them about that, about why they really shut down their, their service so much. It was interesting. None of them came right out and said, well, we do that because we want to keep the stock price up. And the fewer employees we have, the more cars we move, the fewer trains we run, the more we, the more the stock goes up. So it's all very strange world we live in, which is run by the stock market, I guess. But well, uh, the yeah. economics runs so much of everything, doesn't it? These days. Yeah. But Forrest, have you ridden the train out of Canyon City over to Parkdale? Yes, indeed. Food on that is very good. Uh, a regular Cafe Dawn, uh, we see him a lot is uh, River Rat Ray, Ray Bush, and yes. he goes around in that uh, an electrified cart. And I rode that breakfast train with him one morning <clears throat> with Ray, and um, they really went out of their way to make sure they got the cart up and that, that the breakfast was good. So I, I would recommend that to anybody who wants to take that breakfast train. It's really good. And, and Canyon City is a fun place to visit as far as that's concerned. There's a, there's a lot of things to see there in in, uh, in Canyon City. So 
so maybe they'll open some more of that that line up to Salida or somewhere. I've heard talk about that. You you probably know a lot more than I do, but uh, no, we, I know I know they're just storing a lot of rail cars along there right now. We have a porter on the ground there who counts those cars. He has come on this show. Rick, how, when was the last time we had him on the show? We had to get him back. And what he does is he gives us the car count and uh, where they're going. And he talks, he goes over, he talks to crews and stuff to see what's what's going on, what's, what's probable. Uh, someday, well, I think we're hoping to get to um, somebody from the Soloviev. You say Soloviev, I think you say it. They've done some interesting things. Uh, and they have just built a new new big sidings on the little railroad that they own in uh, eastern Colorado. And so that's that's really been kind of fun to have them on the show a little. And certainly one of the things they will do if they ever get control of this, which will they, will they get control of it? I don't know. But um, uh, their railroad, which is called the uh, the Colorado and Pacific, but if they do get control, they would indeed run a daily passenger train through here, just as the DNRG did. But it would be much more of a tourist train. The idea would not be that we're <laughs> getting you to Pueblo, or the idea not that we're getting you to to Mintern, Mintern to, to get on the California Zephyr, that kind of thing. All you could do that, but the point being much more that <clears throat> you stop along the way and if the conductor sees some herd of sheep, which you might see, that uh, he not only points it out to you, well, you're already only going 25 miles an hour, so he doesn't have to do that. I think there's the top speed through there used to be 25. He'd have plenty of time for you to pull up for a second and take a look and before you continue on. Speaking of the Division of Wildlife, there was a woman from that division who used to do just that on the on that train, I don't think she was official. But did you remember her? You, you must have worked with her at some point. What I can say, and I I'm not sure if you're talking about the one out at Canyon. I did I did work on bighorn sheep there in the canyon. I know that uh, our sheep herds. You know, we were concerned as an organization about our sheep uh, when they put all those rail cars there that uh, the sheep wouldn't have access to the river for their water. So we were able to work with Union Pacific to at certain points where we knew the sheep like to come down to the river, you know, leave stretches, spaces between the cars. So there there was access still to the river. So if you go along there in your automobile today and you look and you'll see uh, that whole connected line of, of freight rolling stock, I guess you call it. And then there'll be a break. And then where you can see up into the mountainside there, well, that's where the sheep are able to come down to the river. That's what those breaks are about. But then, you know, here goes another line of cars for a long way, you know, without any breaks between them. But that's what those breaks are for. Well, as I always say on on this show too, these uh, when we're talking with somebody as local as, as Bruce Goforth, and we are, by the way, running out of time, but just to say that uh, if you see me and Bruce sitting there in Cafe Dawn some morning, we'll be covering not just this topic, but many others, 
but it's really been fun to to hear about the Goforth family, its ties to railroads going back all the way to the Revolutionary War. I know there weren't railroads yet then, but it's always fun to see how families get tied up with railroads down through the years. And so, and if, if next time, Bruce, that we're going to do coffee over there, maybe we should, I should invite people or remind them to come by and we'll talk. We'll talk about the details in this show because there's so many, we have a lot of questions to answer, but we're not going to get them done today. And so the main thing we want to do, Bruce, is just to thank you for having given us this time this morning. We, as always, thank our engineer. As always, thank KHEN uh, Radio for, for this show. And I just got an email yesterday from, from some people who listen to the show from way back east. I want to say Pennsylvania. I'll have to look again. They listen to this show every, every, uh, every time it's up. So <laughs> isn't that fun? Maybe they'll show up at Cafe Dawn someday. <laughs> so there are people all all around the world who listen. Well, we need to wrap this show up. All right. Thank you again. Thanks to to Bruce Goforth for being here. And we're going to get our get our signal straight. We're going to look out the back porch of the caboose. We're going to turn the marker lights around to green. We're going to lean out the back caboose. We're going to give a big old highball at the count of three. Thanks again for on the rails. Count of three. One, two, three. Highball! 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 Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.